another exciting episode of Legends in the Dark, where, where our motto is, facial hair on the air, we just don't care. My name is Jay. And I'm Leslie, which I don't have facial hair, so I think that, that quote's about you. Only if you don't believe, Leslie. <laughs> Only if you don't believe. It's funny, though. I was just talking to Chris about his, um, he has about the third version of Quarantine Beard. So it's getting all like kind of very thick right now. So we call that phase three. Yeah, phase basically. Three. I'm currently I, I retrograded back to a phase one. I was at a phase three. I do think he looks handsome with the beard because when he when he shaves everything off, he looks like ten years younger, and that just makes me mad. It's like no, no, no. Is he like is he like me? Because it's been a long time since I've seen Chris without a beard. But is he like me where he has no chin? No, he has a chin. It's just he looks young. I, I don't know uh, how to explain it. It's, it's one of these I things where... I don't look young. I just look like a turtle. <laughs> no, None of the men in my family have chins. That's why we grow these things. It, it hides our shame. <laughs> so that's why everyone has beards. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's true. I mean, because think about it. We've known each other for what, almost, what, like 20 years now or something yeah, like that? Yeah, close to. 2003 yeah. is when I moved down here, so yeah. And in any in, in all that time, have you ever seen me without a beard or a goatee of any kind? The answer to that is no. <laughs> I know. I was actually just trying to think. I'm like, no. When we first met, I was like, no, you had that, and then you had that, and then I'm, I'm trying to think if any past girlfriends had you shave, and I'm like, no. So I'm like, huh? I don't think I've ever seen you clean shaven. That's it's a pretty so, horrendous sight, I will say that. So, but, um, so for our listeners, uh, we should say the Happy New Year, because this will come out in the new year. Uh, I actually think we've already had an episode drop in the new year, but right now when we're recording this, it's the day after Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but it's an urban legend. No. Uh, anyway, but uh, it's just weird because I'm thinking of already of the new year and all my it's not going to be a gigantic dumpster fire like this past one has been dude have you seen that match.com i have oh my god it's i love it and the only reason why you remind me of it is because it does show so for for listeners who haven't seen it because i don't know if you're like me and the only reason i saw is because i have hulu still with the commercials It's, it's it's basically like satan going on a blind date with a woman named 2020 yes and it's hilarious i didn't know was it written or directed by ryan reynolds i think both oh man it's hilarious because it's basically them meeting at the beginning of the year and it's them going to all these places that are empty movie theaters gyms and there's one part where she's like running out of a storage place carrying like a arms full of toilet paper oh my gosh like it was like i i i laughed so hard and there's this one part where they're taking a selfie in front of a dumpster fire. And I'm all like, you know what? I just love that it was like he, you know, he has like symbolic stuff. But then it's like, no, let's just call it 2020 what it is. It's a dumpster fire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so happy 2021. Hopefully uh, everyone has some, you know, hope for the new year. And how about you? Do you have any? It's right before the New Year's for us. But do you have any New Year's resolutions? Oh, you mean those that they you know that thing when people lie to themselves and say, I'm going to do this, and then they don't do any of it? No, I don't have any of those. 
I actually start my New Year's resolution early this year. I started it this week. I I want to write my uh, third novel, so I'm on my third novel right now. Uh, okay, I'll 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 throw one out. Uh, well, I, you know, actually, I I take that back. I actually do have a um, like I don't know, it's not really like a New Year's resolution. It was just kind of something I was planning on doing anyways. But starting on the first, I was gonna do a. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Oh my God, my mind is going blank. Uh, a fast. I'm going to do a, another one of the, the fasts. Oh, cool. Staying healthy? I just want to lose, lose all those, uh, you know. Uh, quarantine pounds? Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> no, the holiday pounds. Quarantine pounds, nothing. It's the holidays. I, I was doing fine until, like, you know, October rolled around. Actually, it's funny because I've been baking more and, and last thing and then we'll get to it, but I've been like cooking, like baking more and even Chris bought me a um, a really cool, the Culinary Institute of America's textbook for bacon and pastry. And Where are my cookies, Leslie? You know, I actually feel bad. I, I, I did make some cookies for someone for her Christmas gift. And I think everyone's been I, – I, I thought they were okay, but everyone's been telling me they're really good. And I made pumpkin bread and I made banana bread. So you're going to have to tell me what you guys like and I'll make it for you. I'll look for the recipe. You'll be the first person – you guys will be the first uh, people I make something on my new book. I don't know if Leslie can tell, but I am scowling at her right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're a little up nose turned and – after you just said you want to do a fast, now you're asking me for cookies. I'm just I'm going to point that out to you. What did I just tell you about New Year's resolutions? <laughs> that is true. Okay, so I'm going first tonight, right? Yes. Okay, so tonight I have The Disappearance of Frederick Valentich. Mm. Valentich. I'm sorry. I You know, I wrote the name... Exactly how, because I watched a, a YouTube video about it uh, by Lily Harper, because I wanted to get the name right, and I even wrote it, like, phonetically, so I could, like, say it right, and I messed it up anyway. Valentich. Less is, less is more, Leslie. Less I know. is more. So my sources, again, are Lily Harper YouTube video, Wikipedia, all that's interesting, uh, article by uh, Katie Serena. Um, the YouTube video, the Lily Harper, it was the first one I, I, I've, I've done of hers. But I really like it. She just sits there and tells you about this whole mystery. And I guess she does a lot of di different disappearances or mysteries. So I might have to check her out more. So uh, check her out because um, I, I really enjoyed the video. Okay, so we start off in October 21st, 1978. And we're going to Australia for this story. This is the part where I could be like, you know, it's our flashing back. And I start to start do, 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 do. Right? And then someone with bell bottoms come walking out. It was the summer of 1978. Well, technically fall. Whatever. All right, so a 20-year-old pilot named Frederick Valentich, an experienced pilot who already had his private pilot's license with approximately 150 hours under his belt, was training with his Cessna 182L for his commercial license. On the evening of October 21st, 1978, during his training flight, it consisted of flying from Moorabbin, Moorabbin, M-O-O-R-A-B-B-I-N, I apologize if I said that wrong, to King Island, a 125-mile trek. Now, this trek was over what is known as the Bass Strait. I don't know if it's Bass or Bass Strait, so I apologize. 
located between the Australian mainland and Tasmania. Now, about 45 to 50 minutes in the flight uh, at 7.06 p.m., he radioed Melbourne Flight Service, an air traffic advisor, which I think it's like our air traffic controller. Stephen Ruby took Valentich's call. Valentich left Ruby, I'm sorry, Valentich let Ruby know that there was an aircraft near him that was approaching with full landing lights on and was following approximately at 4,500 feet. Ruby, though, he told uh, Valentich that no other crafts were near him. Uh, and I'm assuming this is radar that he's looking at. Like, uh, I'm not quite sure what uh, the technology was for the 70s for the flight, but I'm assuming it's if my movie of Airplane and Airplane 2 is anything, it's probably one of those radar blip kind of things. Boop. Oh, so Boop. you got the guy making the sound effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Valentich then reported that the craft passed above him at about 1,000 feet, moving very fast at a high speed. This went on for the next five minutes as he related all what he was seeing and the movements of the craft. Again, the pilot had roughly 150 hours. He had a private private pilot's license. He held a class four instrument rating, and he was a member of the Royal Australian Air Force, or the RAAF. Now, while he did have some strikes against him, uh, including flying too close to a control zone in Sydney and flying into a cloud, which he was uh, he was written up for, we can agree that someone with this much experience should be able to describe what he's seeing. Like, do you agree with that? I would say so. So if someone is saying, and maybe he's not the perfect pilot or the best pilot, but if he's saying there's something weird out here and it is has lights on it, it's moving very fast, it keeps, he, as he says, quote, orbiting around me, it is, it's pretty strange, right? So yeah. besides, besides the landing lights, the craft was described as having a shiny and metallic exterior, and it had a green light. Within moments, Valentich then told air traffic that he was having engine trouble. Before losing transmission, Valentich is quoted as saying, quote, it isn't an aircraft. The last sounds that air traffic heard were a metallic scraping sound, quote, end quote. Assuming the worst, a pilot had crashed, a sea and air rescue search was launched. Those searching the area of his last transmission near Cape Ottawa, there was no wreckage found. Presuming the pilot did crash, the case was closed. So why the mystery? Well, there's a couple of theories out there. So one theory was that he crashed and, was, and they were just unable to locate the wreckage. That he committed, actually that he committed suicide and he gave a different reason of why he was going, of what he was seeing. So basically saying like he is making up this whole story for air traffic so they wouldn't know that he was committing suicide with his plane. Which seems, I mean... The family came out saying, like, he was happy, that he had a girlfriend, that, like, they don't think that would have been the reason. And the other reasons that they think that he was lying was because he told different stories of why he was going to King Island. So one was, like, uh, I think it was picking up friends. The other one was he was going to visit someone. It was it was all kind of strange where different stories were coming up. But what a lot of people would want to believe or what do believe or may believe 
is that he saw and was captured by a UFO. What seems weird about this is, and also kind of, this is why like kind of skeptics kind of say yay and nay, is because his father actually came out after his disappearance and as confirming that he was a believer in UFOs and that he was kind of afraid of being taken. So a lot of people kind of looked at that as a microscope of, well, if he was going to commit suicide, wouldn't this be, you know, a story that you still tell? And I mean, like, look at this over 40 years later and people are still talking about this story. But those who believed in the story about the UFO got another reason to believe. 36 years after the disappearance, a researcher found a story by an unnamed farmer who says that the morning after the disappearance, he saw a 30-meter craft hovering over his property. The Cessna was reportedly stuck to the side of the craft leaking oil. So why didn't he come forward 36 years earlier? Well, those that he did tell, that he did say, hey, I saw something weird in the sky, he was ridiculed. So he never mentioned it. And then I don't know how like this, it didn't really mention how this researcher found him. But many skeptics also point out that the researcher does confirm that there is no other evidence. So it's not like he took a picture. It's not like he, I think he may have wrote down like the registration numbers. So, but that's very easy to look up as well, I guess. The only other thing that the researcher does confirm though, is that there were other reports of seeing UFOs in the vicinity in October of 1978. I looked, did some research. I didn't do like total in-depth, in-depth, like going on like too many blogs, but there was some like reports that a lot of people were confirming this researcher's study and that's all I could really find because then it said oh this research is is going to present at this convention so it's very interesting to have someone come up 36 years later and say hey that guy who disappeared in his plane I totally saw his plane the next day and if you believe it you believe it if you don't you don't but it's really interesting Uh, his last words were this weird you know I see something and then hearing the metallic kind of scraping. What do you think? I think that, uh, I think he got taken. It's interesting. I mean, he, it, he straight, he straight got taken is, is what happened. And you know, it's, it's funny because there are a lot of, you know, different planes that disappear that have never been found again. I mean, I'm thinking Bermuda Triangle. I'm thinking a couple of yeah. the lost airplanes in the last couple and what, in the last 10 years. Cause I forget, didn't they? Weren't, didn't they like never find um, Amelia Earhart's plane? Yep, they've never found. Um, I know there's been a lot of updates and reports like the last like couple of years, so I'm not quite sure where that disappearance theory story is at right now. Because I know like some people say they found stuff on an island. I know there was like a picture, and but yeah, last I heard, I mean, last I know, all I know is no. There's been. No confirmation on what happened to her. And her story is also interesting. It's just, it's very long, very in-depth. I don't think I'll have enough time to ever, like, do it It's kind of like, it, it, it's one of the, well, I guess for lack of a better word, it's like one of the trifectas of, like, the podcast that I've already, I've always said oh, we're never going to do. It's going to be probably, like, Amelia Earhart, Bigfoot, and Loch Ness Monster. Those are like the three, the triangle that said like, we cannot do these stories because there's just way too much. We just want to be able to do them justice unless we were reviewing, like Skinwalker Ranch was the same way. It was, I mean, we had to do that in three parts because one part I read the book and that was two parts. And then the third part, we saw the movie because I knew I wasn't giving you as much 
information as, as I was doing the book. And, you know, that movie was literally the book. And well, I'm sure the book was much more interesting than the movie. Dude, did I tell you that I actually, um, because on Amazon it pops it up, it, I guess there's actually a TV show. Like there was a documentary TV show where they like, like documented their time on the ranch now. And I think it was done by, I can't remember if it was done by the History Channel or by the Travel Channel, but it was called Skinwalker. And it's still for sale, I think, to buy for the season one. So I didn't buy it, <laughs> but like I'm watching it because I kind of want to watch it and just maybe we could do an update if it ever come, becomes free on Amazon. Okay, well, I'll let you watch it first, and then you can tell me if it's anything like the movie that we watched. And if it is, then I'm just going to say I'll pass. Well, you and I'll just take your word for it. Well, you know when those because, ep- because you you had to wake me up during the movie. I think I was falling asleep or something I, while we were watching that. Yeah, and I was I I will admit like I really did like the movie towards the end because I just I did find it fascinating yeah. that they just sit, sat around around oh, this fire. Because it wasn't like the more all the all the most interesting stuff was at the very beginning. Yes. Right? They said like all this stuff, and then they didn't go into any of that. And it really wasn't a documentary that the guy was doing. I mean, he, he's probably a very good documentary, and I can't remember his name. But a lot of the footage from the beginning was, I think, was it George Knapp's like videos and his documentary. So like, yeah, like all that stuff was from when they did the research and I don't know what other stuff they did besides going on the ranch and doing the um, interviews, which was interesting, but it was not like they, they went to certain areas that were in the book saying like, but it's one of those things. Have you ever watched those uh, shows where it's like, where are they at 20 years now? That's what it felt like. You know what I mean? But I digress. I still still like the, my identity has to be kept secret. I cannot, divulge who I am or what I do. And then like, you know, like two hours later, he's like sitting around a campfire with everybody else. It's like, oh, dude, we see a watch. You're wearing the same watch as that other guy. I swear he's the same guy. And now I'm kind of curious if he comes out on that video on the um, documentary series I was just telling you about. Ooh, that'd be interesting. That'd be the only reason I want to watch is see if they actually announce who the name is, who the owner is now. But no, no, but I, I know we just want to be able to do like Amelia Earhart's story, the Bigfoot stories. Of course, I will admit, I told you this, my brother-in-law had some Bigfoot stories for me and I might have to at least cut off and do not a big overall Bigfoot, but at least the stories of different people. Because if that's we, what you have to do with this is you have to get like the individual stories, quite honestly. Oh, well, yeah. Like, okay, so let me say that if we ever did any of those types of stories, that would literally have to be like just one episode. And that's all we talk about is just that thing that we because our normal format is like you tell a story, I tell a story, stuff like that. It would have to be like we're just going to go back and forth. And this is like all the different stories that we've heard about this one subject. Yeah. I, I love a good story. And so, Hey, if anyone has stories they want to share, I'm totally willing to tell your story and I want to talk about it. It's just like when my, when my brother-in-law was talking about it, it was so interesting. And he just has such a, a, as people know, Chris did a couple episodes with me Chris and his brother sound very similar. So it's a very like deep voice. So you're just sitting there and I, it was on Halloween Eve, Halloween Eve, sorry, Halloween. And we were sitting around outside um, having dinner 
And it was just like the perfect atmosphere. And he's just telling the story about, and you know, what? I'll, I'll share a little bit just about him going up on his motorcycle, um, dirt biking and the weird experiences he came across. And maybe I will share this next month. Oh, you know, it is his birthday. Maybe I'll dedicate it to um, him. But I, I will admit, I kind of be, became a believer in these stories in the sense that it's like there's something about when someone tells a story and they can't explain it. And you're sitting there like as a skeptic to where I try to explain it first before I like dive head in to be like, oh, my gosh, do you think this was it? It's very interesting to to think about what exactly is in the forest, what is in the woods. And um, as someone who doesn't like going into the woods, I... Well, yeah, I mean, because they can't sit there and tell us, like, oh, you know, like, 60% of the forests in North America are unexplored or whatever. And it's like, then say, no, we know for a fact that Bigfoot doesn't exist. I'm like... How would you, how do you know? You just told us that nothing's, none of it's been explored. Yeah, and I think maybe I'm kind of doing that whole protest too much. Like, I don't like those stories because they kind of scare me. It's kind of like UFO stories. The story we just, you know, about the disappearance tonight, that makes me nervous. He was a young guy who basically was going out for his license, and he was an experienced pilot in the sense that he, you know, knew what he was seeing, what he was doing. And even though, you know, you could be the best pilot and still have accidents, it's really weird what he was reporting. And it wasn't like, hey, this is what I see, you know, bye. It was, hey, this is what's going on. And for like 10, 15 minutes, he kept reporting what he was seeing. Like, even as someone who sometimes will riff with you and do bits, I can't come up with stuff like that fast. You know what I mean? Nah. Uh, it's pretty interesting and a little bit unnerving. That's you know what you hit it hit the nail on the head. It's it's unnerving to think about. Like you could just be and like we said, there's the Malaysia flight. I don't think they knew what happened to that one. There's a lot of flights that not just the small planes that go who disappeared, but there's big groups of planes like the or ships or ships like the Bermuda Triangle or um, uh, Amelia Earhart. It's like it's very interesting. We're not talking about like old timey. We're also talking about like you know in the last ten years. So yeah, it's it's kind of creepy about like what could be out there. Anyway, so that's my uh, story: the disappearance of Frederick Valentich. All right, so my turn now. Uh huh. Where are you taking us? We are going to sunny South Carolina. Oh, I don't think we've really had any Carol South Carolina stories, legends. For a for a deliciously campy story, and what I'm going to tell I'm going to tell this story, and then I want you to, to to tell me if it reminds you of anything. I have a feeling it's already going to remind me of the other campy story you did. Oh no, no, not another campy story. Just like something television related. Oh, okay. I'm I'm all ears so then. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. So today I am going to talk about the Lizard Man of Scape or Swamp. Nice. Nice. Also referred to as the Lizard Man of Lee County because that's where it's from. It's in Lee County, South Carolina, specifically an entity sent to inhabit the swampland of that area. Is it very swampy in South Carolina? I didn't know that. I'm not sure. I've never actually been to South Carolina. Hmm. I'm not I'm not well traveled. I have to point out too many of my flaws. Um, so the sightings and news coverage of the Lizard Man began in the late late 1980s, specifically on July 14th of 1988, when a Lee County Sheriff's Office 
or the Lee County Sheriff's Office, investigated a report of a car damaged overnight while parked at a home in the area of Browntown outside of Bishopville, South Carolina, on the edges of said swamp. Okay, so the car reportedly had tooth marks and scratches on it, with also including uh, hair and muddy footprints left behind at the scene. Sheriff Liston Truesdale also noted that this was the start of uh, various claims uh, in that general area, which ultimately coalesced into a story about a lizard man who lived in the swamp. So we're not sure if there had any been any sightings prior to that, but once this story started, it built up steam and just kind of kept on going. Soon after this that event, 17-year-old local uh, Christopher Davis reported his car was da- was also damaged by a creature who he described as green, wet-like. I don't know if that's even a word, but that's what he said, wet-like. About seven feet tall with three fingers on each hand. So like think like Ninja Turtles. Okay. Red eyes, lizard-like skin, and snake-like scales. Ooh. Which, he... which apparently occurred happened to him two weeks prior to the first event. Oh, so he couldn't have listened to it and got the same idea. Possibly, yes. So according to Davis, after stopping... Uh, to fix a flat tire that occurred after he had visited a fast food restaurant, he saw the creature walking towards him. So he immediately got in the car and started to drive, but the creature was soon on top of his car. So apparently this lizard man moved quickly. Oh, that's even scarier, because I don't like stuff that move quickly. Like, move a nice, like, zombie, slow shuffle and pace for me. Well, if you think about it, lizard man, you know how fast, you see how fast lizards move when you see them? They just kind of go, and they're gone. Yeah. Ugh. Just imagine like something man size that's like moving that quickly. Ooh, not cool, dude. I gotta sleep at night. <laughs> so so again, the creature soon on top was soon on top of his car. Davis hit hit his brakes, which caused the creature to roll off the car, which gave Davis time to escape. Now, sadly, for this this all happened within this there's one more little kind of thing in from that year. There, this this occurred between, you know, the, the initial case, which was July 14th. It went through to about August 5th, and then it kind of died off after that for a number of years. The this and this increase in newspaper and media publicity prompted more sightings. They didn't have any that the, anybody specifically reported, but there were more sightings of the creature. The local radio station. Uh, in the area, offered a $1 million reward for capturing the lizard man. That just reminds me of The Simpsons, where it's like, do you want the money or do you want an elephant? Well, that money sounds really good, but I want this elephant. That money sounds really good, but I got myself a lizard man. A boat's a boat, but the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. <laughs> We're at the $1 million reward for capturing a creature which may or may not even exist. So uh, August 5th at this point. Okay, August 5th. So on August 5th, a man named Kenneth Orr, who was an airman stationed, or airman, airman stationed at Shaw, the Shaw Air Force Base, filed a police report saying he had encountered the lizard man on Highway, 15, on Highway 15, also that he had shot and wounded the creature. He presented several scales and, and a small quantity of blood as evidence. 
Well, I mean, at least he had some evidence. Like that's he shot something. <laughs> Don't get too excited, Leslie. It was oh. ultimately proven to be a hoax. Cre- created by Orr to keep the stories of Lizard Man circulating in the area because Lizard Man was good for business. Well, I mean, that's everywhere that you know, Mothman, yeah, same something same as, same as you know, Bigfoot, Nessie, you know. They were making Lizard Man t-shirts. Yeah, Champ from New York, yeah. Anyways, that one ended up being a hoax. And then, again, like I said, that was the last one, last major thing that was reported for a number of years. The next time that Lizard Man was even mentioned, in the media at least, was not until 2008, uh, when CNN mentioned the Lizard Man legend in a story about a local couple who reported damage to their car, which also had uh, traces of blood at the scene. Now, that one also ended up being basically just kind of like a, uh, a made-up story because the blood ended up being that of like a, a wild dog or something like that. Well, they may have not so much made up. They must have probably hit something, didn't realize what they hit. Also, also could be, yes. Um, and then it died off again for until 2015 when the local t- when a local TV station WCIV featured photos and video that which claimed to be of the lizard man that was uh, reportedly taken by um, unidentified individuals. So still not really anything concrete enough to make you kind of think, yeah. oh, hey, wait a second. But that's not really the reason why I chose this story. Now, have you figured out where I was going with this? Uh, no, because I guess I, I, I mean, because I have all these other cryptids in my head, you know, like when we're talking about Champ and Bigfoot and stuff. Um, as TV show wise, I, like I said, Residence, Destination Truth. I don't know anything well, that this sounds like. like. Ser- when I say a TV series, think of sci-fi. Sci-fi with a lizard man. I don't know. For anybody out there who's a, who's a fan of the original Star Trek series. Well, I mean, I, I like Star Trek and I've watched the original series, but I don't know who you're talking about. There was an episode. It's it's probably pretty vague, but there was an episode where, where Captain Kirk... Had, was fighting with a lizard man looking creature. Was that the alternative factor? No. No, I'm thinking about something else, I think. I don't know. Yeah, but... he had the trademark, you know, shirt ripped and everything. He's like, ah, and I think he was going to like crush it with a rock or something. I remember the one where he goes to the planet Shore Leave. And it's basically, he did the same thing. He fought against something and his all shirts all ripped and stuff. And I love that that was like a run-in joke that even the new Star Trek's picked up. The last right. the last movie, like, I ripped my shirt again. <laughs> but, no, I don't remember that episode. But, again, I'm not, like, my, my friend has to explain to me about the, some of the Star Trek. Shout out, Erin! But, like, she um, tells me, like, the episodes to kind of, like, watch first, and then I'll watch the other ones. But I love... Shore leave, and there's another one where they're on. Plato's stepchildren is good. I like that one. Yeah, just like go to Google and then just type in like, oh, it's Star Trek. It's Kirk versus Gorn. Like G-O-R-N. Ah, okay, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. But yeah, that's that's the what it kind of reminded me of. I didn't know the specific name of the creature, but on the show, but that's what I was going. It was campy and it's kind of funny, and I was like, huh. 
lizard man. But that was the lizard man of Skabor Swamp. That's cool. Like, see, but see, it's one of the reasons why I don't do a lot of cryptid stories is I get so invested in a story. It almost breaks my heart when it's like, someone's yeah it's a hoax and it's like oh you know because there are so many things that are unexplained out there and so many things that that you want to believe in in the sense of this could be real this can be real it has to be real and then when you hear that oh well it's just all fake it's like it breaks your heart like i really like because so many people invest time and energy in it not just like for a podcast or anything but investigators and money and and want to know and so when you hear about people you know, doing hoaxes, it's just like, well, I mean, it just makes it that much harder if you really believe in to investigate it. And if you do ever find something. And then sometimes you get sheep squatch. Okay. That is what I was thinking about when you said, uh, you remember this will sound familiar. I was thinking of that monsters and mysteries in America. Yeah. That episode was good with sheep, sheep squatch. To this day, I'll always remember when I swore up and down that I would be like, I will not, I will not, do sheep squatch and then you know what did i end up doing i said like well i said i wasn't gonna do it but i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> here's sheep squatch because like even when if it's the same one i was as i was thinking about for destination truth even when they investigate <clears throat> it there was some weird things out there and you never know there it could be something in a swamp that just you know was time has forgotten and like that happens all the time but it's it's one of those things where it's one of those things where you have to kind of wade through all the tourist trap kind of stuff first before you really get down to the stories. Right. I think that's the problem is that when they get all that merchandise and stuff, you kind of automatically start thinking like, oh, this is probably fake. Yeah. But I can't they're making, blame. They're making money off of it. But, but you know what? I can't blame people. Like if, if, you're fam- if your town is famous for Mothman or if you made a movie off of the Lizard Man, like, you know – small towns i grew up in a small town so i mean i wish i had something as interesting as you know a lizard man you know it's just i think i i can see why they want to capitalize on it is because it keeps them running so i can't i can't blame them for that i wonder if that's where they got the idea for um that star wars bounty hunter character was his name bosk the you you only see him briefly in like empire strikes back he's like a big lizard looking guy that would be funny. That or maybe Star Trek, um, like you said, Star Trek uh, influenced him, influenced uh, Lucas. But Lucas. <laughs> I mean, well, good story. That's fun. Fun for the new year. Fun and campy. Mm-hmm. So uh, should we um, do our shout out? Let's do the shout out. Okay. I think we, got, we got something a little bit different today than we usually do, right? I will admit. So when I was li- looking through the shout outs, um, this one has about nine downloads. So they're pretty new. And, and it was just such a fun name to say. So I'm, I love my UK names. So we're going to shout out legendary listener shout out to the person or maybe people who are listening in East Ryden of Yorkshire. That's the whole name. East, East Ryden of Yorkshire. I love it. I'm looking them up right now. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I should have looked it up. I wonder if it's like a small little hamlet, a little village. You know, it, it sounds like something I will watch a murder mystery about. You know, some detectives, some, no, okay. no, it's not detectives. It's uh, chief inspectors are going to the small village of East Ryden of Yorkshire. Okay, so it's a little, it's a little place in northern England. Nice. How many people? What's the population? 
population is 341,173. Okay, well, now we got nine downloads, so... Hold on a second, I think everything else... Uh, um, this kind it's kind of a big number. So according to population as of... Okay, so population as of mid-2019 is 600,259. Okay, so... Not sure what the other one was for, but... So either we got nine people who downloaded nine different times, or or we got one person who downloaded nine episodes and probably gave up on us. But if you're still out there, listener, thank you for listening. Thank you. Don't, don't give up on us. Yeah. Because we won't give up on you. You shall always be our lis- legendary listener. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> I know I was trying to do like the smog. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, thank you so much for listening. And, hey, if you are listening, feel free to Instagram us. Shout out to us as well. Um, would love to hear from you guys. So uh, you want to take us home, Jay? I would love that. This has been another successful and exciting episode of Legends in the Dark. My name is Jay. And I'm Leslie. Your curators of the creepy and your purveyors of the paranormal. And... Your lookers for the lizard man. Well, at least one of them. One of us. Right. We bid you a good evening and... Good night. Good night.